That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of a warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. When you hear that sound, it means you are in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host of the show, and I do it because I was one mile from Three Mile Island when it happened, and I don't want you to ever be in a comparable place. On today's podcast, there's going to be an interview to give you a full update on what happened at San Onofre in the wake of last Friday's visit by NRC Chairman Gregory Yasko and Senator Dianne Feinstein. Uh, we will have that uh, report on the crippled nuclear facility and the opportunity that we have to put pressure in the right places to keep it shut down. Today is Tuesday, April 10, 2012, one year and 30 days since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11 of 2011, and here is the latest nuclear news. Former Japan ambassador warns a government committee a global catastrophe like we have never before experienced will happen if at Fukushima unit number four collapses. This is according to a report, report by spent fuel pools expert Robert Alvarez, who is a former senior policy advisor to the Secretary and Deputy Assistant Secretary for National Security and the Environment at the U.S. Department of Energy. It's an explanation of the potential impact of the 11,421 spent fuel assemblies in Unit 4 at Fukushima. He said that based on U.S. Energy Department data, assuming a total of the of 11,138 421, there are different numbers here, but fuel assemblies that are being stored at the Fukushima Daiichi site, nearly all of them are in pools, they contain roughly 85 times the amount of cesium-137 that was released at the Chernobyl accident. This is as estimated by the U.S. National Council on Radiation Protection. The total spent reactor fuel inventory at Fukushima Daiichi contains nearly half of the total amount of cesium-137 estimated by the NCRP to have been released by all atmospheric nuclear weapons testing, Chernobyl, and worldwide reprocessing plants. It is important for the public to understand that reactors that have been operating for decades, such as those at Fukushima Daiichi, have generated some of the largest concentrations of radioactivity on the planet. It would destroy the world environment and our civilization if Unit 4 collapses. This is an issue of human survival. And a point that I would like to be made that's been glossed over and I've recently been made aware of uh, is that there is a difference between a fuel assembly and a fuel rod because fuel assemblies each contain between 91 and 96 individual fuel rods. So with over 11,000 spent fuel assemblies at Fukushima, doing the math makes it even more terrifying. Now, according to Fukushima Diary uh, and our friend uh, Mokuzuki Iori, who does such a wonderful job of keeping us up on what's happening on the ground in Japan, Japanese journalist Kinoshiti Shitakota, my apologies, leaked over 400 pages of fax correspondence between the Japanese government and TEPCO that took place just after March 11 of last year. It showed that Fukushima chief Yoshida was aware that the Fukushima nuclear reactors were damaged by the earthquake instead of the tsunami. 
Now, with so many faxes, they are still being translated, and as further information reveals itself, we will bring it to your attention. Former Prime Minister Tomichi Moriyama said of Japan said last Sunday that it is regrettable that he changed the then Japanese Socialist Party's policy to an acceptance of nuclear power stations while he was in office, which was 1994 to 1996. Moriyama expressed opposition to the government's efforts towards resuming idled reactors at the Oi nuclear power plant in Fukui Prefecture, saying the government has not yet provided a satisfactory explanation to the public regarding why the nuclear crisis at the Fukushima Daiichi power plant occurred. He said, it was imprudent and it was a failure. I want to apologize. I'm filled with a strong feeling that I should not accept nuclear power stations so I can make up for my mistake. That's Tomichi Murayama, the former Prime Minister of Japan. Would that some of our former presidents here in the United States might be moved to make comparable statements. Now, Japan does have a policy of trying to support the struggling economy in Fukushima, so they have started paying Chinese travelers to tour Fukushima. All Chinese visitors who stay in a local hotel visit two scenic spots in Fukushima and answer a poll of five questions can get a refund of $63, the equivalent of $63 in United States money, after they've returned home. This is according to a story in the East Morning Post and quotes uh, Kokobun Kenji, the chief representative of the Fukushima Pre Prefectural Government Shanghai office. She goes on, those who are willing to share their photos of Fukushima will get another bonus of the equivalent of $63 in American money. All it costs is your genetic future, so let's bring it on. This, of course, is uh, in addition to the discount of about uh, half price for a five-day, four-night package to Fukushima and Tokyo. Now, there's an ongoing situation in Japan. A few days ago, we heard from Kathy Awani, who is our representative, our correspondent from uh, Japan, and she was ecstatic because in the evening paper in uh, Wakayama Prefecture, on the front page, it stated that the prefecture, all 30 cities, towns, and villages, the local governments, have refused radioactive rubble from northeast Japan. Osaka, which is an hour away, said they will not be able to burn the rubble for at least nine months, a great stalling mechanism. Uh, Mayor Kenichi Hashimoto announced a refusal in favor of safety and security for the people, which we reported on last week on Nuclear Hot Seat. And in response, people were demonstrating in front of the Prime Minister's official re residence to not restart the OI nuclear power plant. However, as of last night, hearing from Kathy, there has been some backpedaling on this decision not to burn the nuclear waste. Um, they have a, uh, we have a Skype call scheduled so that I can interview her for Nuclear Hot Seat and learn what the latest information is. And it will either be part of next week's Nuclear Hot Seat broadcast or I will post it as a special. But this is an ongoing situation where, on the one hand, the government is saying they will not burn the waste. And on the other hand, now it looks like they may be burning it, uh, which only spreads the radioactivity through the air. And then they dump the radioactive ashes into Tokyo Bay, where it goes out to contaminate the rest of the ocean. You can't get rid of radiation by burning it. All you do is spread it. 
In international news, it looks like the British nuclear program is at risk because of a Moody's credit alert. The program faces a new threat after the revelation that ratings agencies could downgrade French energy giant EDF and British gas owner Centrica if they decide to build four new nuclear reactors. A credit downgrade would make it more expensive for the companies to borrow and could undermine the share price, which would definitely tick off their shareholders and lead to a confrontation. U.S.-based Moody's says building nuclear plants is risky, yeah, because of the huge costs and uncertainties over future power prices. Failure by Centrica to invest would threaten the whole British nuclear program. Companies in order to build nuclear power plants in Britain need a guarantee that prices will cover costs over at least 30 years. Experts believe the price guarantees otherwise known as a subsidy, would be worth about 2 billion francs, which is the equivalent of over $3,173,000,000 in American money. This would be a year, or over the 30 years, it would be the equivalent of over $95 billion U.S. dollars. So we'll keep you informed about that. Here in the United States, Fort Calhoun is back in the news. Federal regulators today, Tuesday, confirmed that preliminary findings that a fire at the idle nuclear plant last June, it's in Nebraska, that it presented a serious safety threat. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission said in its final determination that the small fire at the Fort Calhoun plant 19 miles north of Omaha was of, quote, high safety significance, end quote. It affected multiple safety systems and consequently warrants action to prevent recurrence. You think? Fort Calhoun already is under the NRC's strictest oversight level because of a prolonged shutdown that began last spring and several other reported problems, including the failure of a key electrical part during a test and flood planning deficiencies. If you will recall, last summer, Fort Calhoun was surrounded and made an island by rising waters from the flooding Missouri River. At one point, it was protected only by an inflatable eight-foot berm that at one point was deflated when it was dinged by a backhoe. There is no current target date for restarting the plant. It probably is a good idea to avoid drinking the milk. According to the University of California at Berkeley Department of Nuclear Engineering, three recent milk test results have been posted on the milk sample page with best buy dates of March 12th, April 9th, and April 16th. Very recent. These, they are trying to dismiss the levels of cesium-134 and 137 that were detected in the samples by saying that the amounts are, and I'm quoting here, so small that it would require drinking over tens of thousands of liters of milk to receive the small dose that one receives from a cross-country airplane flight. But that's the same as comparing apples and elephants. It's the difference between external radiation, that's just a little bit higher than background, and internal radiation exposure that comes from eating or drinking a substance that deposits radioactive particles inside our bodies, where it's up close and personal with all of our organs. It's important for you to understand that the amount of cesium that has been discovered in San Francisco Bay Area milk samples is almost double the EPA's maximum containment level. And these are the highest cesium-137 levels detected by UC Berkeley since last June. Also in radiation, 
um, scientist Marco Kaltoffen's soil me- measurements. Uh, this is also through the UC Berkeley Department of Nuclear Engineering. His soil measurements in North America showed that he took samples from Washington, Oregon, California, and British Columbia, and that the highest levels in North America came from a site on the outskirts of Portland, Oregon, and the next highest result came from a site near Boulder, Colorado. No other U.S. or citizen sa- or Cal- Canadian samples came close to the levels of radiocesium as in these hotspots. Given the nature of radioactive fallout, this is an expected result because both hotspots are likely due to rainouts that took place during March or April of 2011 when the plume, the radioactive plume from Fukushima was dense in the overhead jet stream. In Alaska, biologists have found that polar bears in Beaufort Sea have hair loss and skin lesions. These are the same symptoms that have sickened ice seals and walruses in the Arctic since last summer and led the federal government to declare the incident an unusual mortality event. So far, Field scientists have found hair loss in nine of the 33 bears they've captured. The bears have skin lesions on their heads, necks, and ears. Dozens of seals have died from the disease. According to Julie Spiegel, spokesperson for the National Marine Fisheries Service, we still don't know what is causing the disease, but our scientists have ruled out a number of bacteria and viruses that are known to affect marine mammals. We continue to go forward with studying samples and trying to find out what is causing this disease. Be aware that this degree of hair loss and these kind of skin lesions are consistent with someone who has been exposed to high levels of radiation. Fish along the Orange County coast may have been affected by radioactivity that fell on California in the days after Japan's nuclear accident at at Fukushima, according to local researchers. A study poses the possibility that Fukushima radiation entered the California coast's food chain. Radioactive forms of cesium and iodine detected in kelp, which we reported on last week, got dispersed over a variety of organisms, and the assumption is that it's still there in the biomass of plants and animals off California's coast. Radioactive cesium has a half-life of 30 years, which means it has an effective radioactive life of between 300 and 600 years. So it is likely that it is still present in California kelp to this day. The reason the radiation levels were so high is that radioactive rainfall was absorbed by the seaweed before the seawater had a chance to dilute it. Future research into cesium accumulation in the kelp is needed, but the graduate programs that support such efforts are in jeopardy due to state budget cutbacks. So we have billions of dollars available to support loan guarantees to new nuclear plants, but there's no money to study the effects of these nuclear plants on the future of life. Well, now it's time to move on to our report about what happened last week in uh, Orange County. On Friday, April 6th, NRC, Nuclear Regulatory Commission Chairman Gregory Yasko, and California Senator Dianne Feinstein visited the crippled San Onofre nuclear power facility. This was in response to the ongoing problems with new steam generators installed in 2009. On January 31st, a Unit 2 cooling pipe ruptured, releasing an undisclosed amount of radioactivity. 
At the time, Unit 3 was offline for an inspection of its steam generator cooling system pipes. This inspection revealed that over 800 of the pipes showed signs of disintegration and degeneration, some of them consistent with a plant that had been operating for 20 years. These have only been in operation a little over two. Upon pressurized testing of a tiny fraction of the almost 40,000 pipes in the two units, eight of them ruptured completely. This is the problem that brought the NRC chairman and the senator, along with representatives from municipalities around San Onofre and throughout Orange County, to the nuclear reactors last Friday. It also brought a strong response by California activist groups concerned by the long history of problems at San Onofre and these latest developments. Earlier today, I spoke with Gene Stone, who is the head of Residents Organized for Safe Environment, an activist group in the San Onofre area. I talked with him about the events of last Friday and what we might expect going ahead and how anyone within hearing of this podcast can be of assistance. I'm talking with Jean Stone of Residents Organized for Safe Environment, an activist group down in the San Onofre area, about the events that took place last Friday, April 6th. Jean, first of all, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat again. Yeah, thank you so much. Always good to have you here. So tell me, what was the circumstance that uh, brought the activity to San Onofre last Friday? Uh, Chairman Yasko of the NRC was at the nuclear power plant with uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein and Congressman Darrell Issa. So we went down to meet them in the morning, uh, and we had our own press conference because we wanted to make sure that our demands were public, that we were uh, asking the chairman and the senator to uh, check upon and get answers for us. I saw the press conference footage on the Rose website, and it's quite excellent. What kind of a response, first of all, did you get to the call to the media? We had an excellent response. We had 12 news vans from different television stations, and we had at least five different uh, print presses there. So it was the best response that we've gotten from the media so far. And, of course, our points that we were making, we want to know the root cause. And so often the... Uh, NRC uh, makes the licensee, in this case Edison, do a root cause report, and then they just accept the root cause. So we're asking NRC that they need to do their own root cause report, just not accept. If you read the uh, history of the NRC, they just accept whether it's been true or not, and many of the root cause reports have proven to not be true over time. And so we're saying, well, listen, isn't it about time that the NRC dig in there themselves and do it as well as Edison? And then let's see how the two reports compare. So that's one of the points that we wanted to get across. One of the things that bothered me about what the NRC says, and actually um, Yasko in the clip that I saw was kind of hesitant around it. His wording was not fluid, but he kept on going back to uh, that Edison has to show that they understand why the problem happened, but he didn't move beyond that. It's one thing to have an understanding, but it's another thing to actually do something about it, such as shut them down until this problem is taken care of, which may be never. Well, later in the day at Yasko's news conference that you're referring to, uh, he did say something like that. But in a private meeting 35 minutes after that at 4.45 in the afternoon, 
he had uh, a private meeting with our local groups, about 15 of us, and he promised us in his very words, and we are in the process of writing him a letter confirming his promises and letting him know that we're going to be holding him to those promises. We're doing that today, actually. But he promised us that the root cause problem of number three would be written and understood, and also that would have to apply to reactor number two. Because what we think Edison's plan is, is they're going to keep unit three offline for several months because they don't know what's happening. We think the same thing is happening with unit two. They are trying to say it's not the same thing, therefore they don't have to do a root cause inspection on uh, unit two. And we think that they're going to try to have that up and running by June 1st or shortly thereafter. Uh, and we think that's a problem. We think that's an accident waiting to happen. And uh, Yasko has promised us that they would get to the bottom of that before they restart reactor number two. Is there any way of, of checking the data? Again, I'm very aware of the semantics that are used by the nuclear industry to get around things. It's like there's no significant radiation leak or it's not a significant problem. And here what they're talking about is understanding the problem, but understanding it is not the same as taking the steps to correct it. And the thing of playing the two reactors off of each other is the same thing that was done at North Anna, where one reactor after the earthquake was examined, but not the other one. And they said the first one was okay. They started both. There's already been leakage there. So I'm wondering what can be done to um, to hold them to it and make certain that there isn't a restart until it's not only understood, but that the proper corrective steps are taken. Well, we've been working with a, uh, a national and international environmental group. I'm not ready to mention their name here today. But there is talk about uh, going to the uh, California court and getting an injunction and seeing if that will work uh, to stop that, stop the very thing that you're talking about. That is one thing that's in the works that we're thinking about. If all else fails and they don't, Yasko doesn't keep his promise, this will be probably our last-ditch effort to try to get them to not restart reactor number two under those circumstances. When you say last-ditch effort, does that mean there's going to be a giving up or a shifting to a different gear and a different, ta a different tactic? Well, the last resorts are always in the courts, and if the court won't hear it or won't do it, then obviously they'll they'll restart. No, no, we we will never give up on, on shutting down and start starting the decommissioning process of San Onofre because it's totally unsafe on every level. California Edison has proven to be totally incompetent over the years. The latest reports that are going to come out uh, for 2011, they've improved a little bit on on many of their problems, but they still rank the highest in problems at the plant and problems with the employees and management. So uh, there's been no significant uh, decrease in, in problems at that plant. And now it's also come out that I'm going to use a car example uh, so that people can understand what I'm saying. They have improved on the generators what they thought were improvements. They made improvements that they didn't go and have approved. They may actually have broken the law. And we brought that up to Jasko, and he told us, he promised us in our private meeting, if they've broken the law, 
they'll be held accountable for that. And I asked him, what did that mean? And, of course, he did get vague at that point. But like a car where you would go and rebuild the engine, and instead of putting the same cam and pistons in, you'd put larger pistons and a, and a race cam in the engine to make it faster. So they've actually made improvements into that generator that they thought they were going to get 20% more electricity. So what they've done is they made the public pay for a standard replacement of parts, which they then charged us for to increase to rev up the engine so that they could make 20% more profit out of it. And revving up the engine on a nuclear reactor, a nuclear reactor that is, is how old? It's 30 years old now? 35. But these generators were brand new, and that's so they weren't working on the reactor. They were working on the generator themselves. The one thing that that uh, is still leaving me with some great suspicion is that Biasco, uh, who's the only one of the five commissioners who has shown any kind of sensitivity to their own report about learning the safety lessons of, of Fukushima, uh, made the promises to you and your group in private. It was not made public. It was not put out there. And there's always a danger when private promises like that don't bear up under the weight of whatever is coming down the line. Did you get the sense that he was sincere about pushing forward on the safety issue and, and actually putting that into place? My impression of uh, Chairman Yasko is that he's very sincere. He was very honest with us, and he was very um, honest to tell us that he has no real power. He's one of five votes. There's five commissioners of which he's the chairman. He's outvoted all the time. ISA is after his job to get him fired and replaced, uh, and so are the other four commissioners. Uh, complaining about it because he was the one that pushed for implementation of the lessons learned from Fukushima, which he now has three of those lessons, only three, but the only ones that he could get out of the rest of the commission changed into, instead of recommendations, into what they call an order, which is one level higher than a regulation. So they have got three things from the lessons learned from Fukushima, of which there were quite a number. It was 99-page report. So he is the only hope uh, that we have of reasonable action by the NRC. So I, I really want to encourage everyone not necessarily support the actions of the NRC, but certainly support the actions of Chairman Yasko. He is our only true hope for safety. And what would be the best way for us to support Chairman Yasko and beyond that to support you with Rose and San Clemente Green and San Onofre Safety and all the groups that are doing such a fantastic job down in Orange County to get San Onofre shut down? Well, we're, we're going to start a letter-writing campaign to Yasko himself, holding him to the promises that he made, but also let him know that we support him and these promises that he made and the actions that it will take to keep those uh, in place. That would be, a, I think, a great way. So along with that letter that you send to Chairman Yasko, I would also send that to our senators, Boxer and Feinstein, and send it to ISA, too. I know they're ir irritating just to get the letters of support. But if you want to support uh, the Rose in San Clemente Green, uh, the way to do that is to come to our next protest 
the uh, Chernobyl anniversary is April 26th. We will be having the second peaceful protest, Chernobyl remembered, at San Onofre State Park, like we did on 311, between 1230 and 3 o'clock. And we need every person, all 400 people that came, we need them to bring five friends with them. We want 2,500 people at minimum to show up to this next protest on April 29th, Sunday, to show our support for keeping this plant closed down. Gene, I want to thank you for your assistance and the work that you and all the others down there are doing. Uh, I'll keep putting this out on um, Nuclear Hot Seat on all of our different platforms, Facebook, uh, the website, and uh, see what we can do to get that demonstration going, to build a letter-writing campaign. I will be posting the address for the NRC and the letters to Chairman Yasko on Nuclear Hot Seat on all of our various platforms. Gene Stone from Residents Organized for a Safe Environment, Rose, thank you again so much for having been on Nuclear Hot Seat. Now, now you can take a look at two videos from the activist press conference at residentsorganizedforsafeenvironment.org. I'll also have links for that and uh, the address to write to NRC Chairman Yasko on Nuclear Hot Seat, the website, www.nuclearhotseat.com. Now, the holistic healing tip this week is to not forget about your pets. In many ways, they are even more up close and personal with the ground and with the possibility of radioactive contamination, especially if there has been a recent rain out. They're more likely to roll around, pick up contamination on their coats, and also by licking their paws. So a few things that you can do. One is you can add either bentonite or zeolite to their drinking water, or you can mix it with the wet pet foods. Just smush it around in there. When they ingest it, just as it will for you, it will help pull out any radioactive particles they may have ingested. And there's a wonderful site on Facebook uh, that goes under the name Radchick, R-A-D-C-H-I-C-K. There's more to the title, but if you put Radchick in there, you'll find her. And she had the suggestion that uh, if your dog or cat has been outside, to have one of those rollers that use um, uh, the, the masking tape that's on there and just use the roller over their coat to pick up any stray dust, perhaps any stray particles, and then immediately dispose of that. But realize that um, human beings are not the only ones in your household who are going to be exposed to radiation. It also hits your animals, and we want to protect them as well. Final thought for today. I uh, recently had a run-in with someone who delighted in telling me that we still needed nuclear, that we couldn't do without it, that solar was impossible because of the battery problem. This man was just about hopping up and down with glee about how much he knew about solar that I didn't, and that made him right and me wrong. Well, rather to then continue to engage in this energy-sucking conversation, I terminated it and walked away. Now, given the opportunity, which will come again this weekend because he's a vendor at my local farmer's market, here's what I would like to say to him and what I will say to him. Instead of gloating over how your supposed superior knowledge of a field gives you the vision that a thing is impossible, how about looking at it as a problem that needs a solution and you start looking for that solution?
I'm not a scientist. I'm not an engineer. I cannot argue with you based on the science of electricity or grid or batteries or any of that. But I see this entire energy conundrum as a puzzle that can be solved if enough people put enough brain power at it from enough different directions. So stop telling me something is impossible and laughing at my hope. Set an intention to be part of the solution. Take all that supposed expertise you have about solar or anything else and apply it to the problems facing humanity. You might have the very piece someone else needs to make a breakthrough. There's no way to find out until you, and unless you try. As hippies used to say, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Be part of the solution. I will also tell him that it's not nice to mess with someone who has a podcast because we always get the last word. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, April 10, 2012. You can find us all over the Internet. We are syndicated to airprogressive.org streaming web radio. We're posted on nuclearhotseat.com. We have two separate sites on Facebook, and you can always subscribe to us on iTunes Podcasts. If you have a moment, go to our new Facebook site, which is not the group page, it's the regular page, and click on Like. It will help us show up in the Google algorithm. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call now. Do not go back to sleep. Be safe, be well, and I'll speak with you next week. Bye-bye.